0: Morning. So good to see all of you. It's really good to be back with you, Shelley. And I were away last Sunday, and I, I, I hate to tell you that we were sitting on a beach and it was beautiful, and uh, but we we're we're just we came back refreshed from a little vacation, and but I, I I must confess I, in my mind we were coming back to the winter being over, it was behind us. <laughs> well, it seems like winter has saved its very best for last, so. You know, batten the hatches, the storm is coming. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are with us uh, wherever we go, whatever season we're in, whether there are storms or no storms. So grateful, Lord, that you have come into our lives to meet us right where we are in our sin and our brokenness. And you've come to give us life and to make us whole, to give us hope, to give us a purpose beyond ourselves. Thank you for drawing us into your beautiful family, into your big kingdom. Lord Jesus, we want to see you as we look at your word today. Help us uh, to keep our eyes really locked on you uh, in this time. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Change us, Holy Spirit, by your word. Show us, Jesus, that will be enough for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. I think it was in the summer of my tenth year of life that I first experienced the power and the joy of surrender. It happened like this. It was in California, in my hometown, at the Sonora High School swimming pool high dive. For a few summers, I had watched in admiration and terror as the big kids climbed 35 steps up into thin air, walking a long diving board, and then jumping into the cool water below. For a few agonizing seconds, they disappeared ...in the deep end of the pool, only to reemerge alive and whole, beaming with delight, laughing. I had been avoiding the high dive. I wouldn't even come close to the deep end. But when my buddies, and even some of the girls, started plunging off the high dive, I knew I had to save face. Being uncool was worse than plunging to my certain death. <laughs> so, on a hot day in July... Ten years old, my stomach reeling, my knees wobbling. I climbed those 35 steps, yes, I counted them, up into thin air. As I walked out on the plank, and that's what it felt like, I was walking the plank, everything within me said, you fool, (laughs) turn around and climb back down. You can still live. (laughs) But when I started to backpedal and looked over my shoulder, well, I saw the line of friends and older kids and girls, and they were, they were chuckling. I knew I had to jump. So creeping to the end of the plank, I looked over the edge, and I finally let go and jumped. Down I plunged, hitting the water like a stone, sinking lower and lower into my watery grave. So this is how they die, I thought. It's amazing what goes through your 10-year-old brain. Some people hit the water and never come back up. They get sucked through a grate at the bottom of the pool and turned into chlorine. you know. But then surprise. I came up again. I popped to the surface and I was alive. <laughs> I was wet and dazed, but utterly alive. Not only alive, but I felt transformed. I felt liberated. I felt renewed. I shook my head of wet hair and I just laughed. It was great. I had let go of everything and lived to tell about it. I was more alive than ever. I had tasted the joy of surrender. As we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke during this season of Lent, we come to the surrender of Jesus to his Father's will in chapter 22. As he prays and he pours out his heart in the Garden of Gethsemane, On the Mount of Olives. Our salvation, our freedom from the penalty and power of our sin, our forgiveness, everything depended entirely upon Jesus' surrender. For most of us, the word surrender conjures up uh, images of something we have to do, but we don't like it. Kind of like eating your vegetables when you're a kid. They taste bad, but they're good for you, right? How many times do you hear that growing up? Eat your vegetables, they're good for you. I remember a long episode with one of our sons, I won't mention his name, and he was was not going to surrender to the green beans. And I sat there with him, and I sat there with him, and he was not going to surrender to the green beans. Well, eventually we both kind of surrendered. And uh, I had to be in therapy for it. Uh, At any rate, we need a fresh look at surrender. And we're going to see that surrender, letting go and trusting God with our lives, is central to our journey with Jesus. We can't come to Christ without what I'll call the big surrender. The big surrender involves dethroning ourselves and our smaller gods Gods such as control, money, reputation, power, lust, greed, dethroning those gods and placing Jesus on the throne of our hearts. We confess Jesus as the one and only Savior who can save us from our sin and can guide us as the one and only Lord of our lives. But we can't continue to live with Christ and follow him without many little surrenders. Those those daily decisions that proclaim, Jesus, I choose to let go and trust you in this specific matter, in this specific area of my life. I choose to surrender it, to let it go. I trust you. So both the big surrender and the little surrender surrenders, almost all of the little surrenders, I would say, plunge us into some kind of loss of being in control. And that's why we cling to our securities. We all have our little security blankets. We cling to them. We refuse to let them go. We refuse to give them up. But surrender is the path of freedom, joy, delight, impact. If you want to find real joy, if you want your life to have a a ripple effect on others, then learn to let go and trust God. The title of the message today is The Freedom of Surrender. Sometimes we don't put those two words together. We don't quite know how, but God does. Jesus does. The freedom of surrender. How do we begin to tell God? Here's my one and only life, God. Take it all. You gave it to me in the first place. I give it all back to you. In our passage today in Luke 22, Jesus, he doesn't demand and threaten us to surrender. He shows us how to surrender by demonstrating what a surrendered life looks like. Luke 22 Verses 39 to 46. Follow along as I read. This is the word of God. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours, be done. Remember from the last two weeks that our story today begins right after the disciples have celebrated the first Lord's Supper. And their conversation during that meal had drifted into a discussion of which one of them would betray Jesus. It's you, not me. And from there, they started debating who was the greatest among them. It's me, not you. And these are his closest followers. Jesus had a few things to say to them. He told them they had it all wrong, that greatness was found in serving, and that none of them was strong enough to withstand the temptation to save their own lives at the expense of his. He told them Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. In Mark's gospel, Jesus goes even farther and makes a stark, sober prediction. You will all fall away they did. Jesus was essentially saying, you will all stumble, you will all fail, you will all fall flat on your faces. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that they can't handle what's ahead by themselves. They must let go and seek God for help in the coming hours. Well, rather than listen to Jesus, Peter kind of beats his chest with much bravado, and he declares, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. In other words, even if those guys all fall away, they probably will, but not me. I won't fall away, Jesus. You can count on me. I'll be there for you. And Jesus tried to warn him. He loved Peter. He tries to warn him. He says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. You'll deny three times that you even know me. So the three times is like a a hammering away, a hammering home to Peter, how far he is capable of falling. He doesn't believe it. Peter perfectly exemplifies an unsurrendered life. Stubborn, self-willed, hard-headed, self-dependent, independent, Not at all like me or any of you, right? (laughs) The unsurrendered person constantly says to God and to others and to him or herself, don't worry, I can handle it. I won't fall flat on my face. Rather than taking personal responsibility for the darkness, the weakness, the brokenness, unsurrendered people constantly judge and compare themselves to others. Have you seen this in your heart? seen it in mine. Even if all fall away, I'm different. I won't. Here's the sobering truth. It's, it's easy for us to stand in judgment over others, to point a finger and say, why did he do that? Or, or why did she handle it that way? Until we find ourselves in places of pressure and temptation, and we're in over our heads, and we blow it. We sin, and our sin wounds others and ourselves. Peter seems to swagger with an attitude of, what's to surrender? I've got this. No problem. Well, in a few hours, unsurrendered Peter would face a battle that's way over his head, something that nothing in life could have prepared him for, and he's going to stumble and fall flat on his face. There's a better way to live than that. Jesus shows us this better way through his own willingness to surrender even to death on a cross. His surrender. His surrender secures our very salvation. We could not and would not be saved without his surrender. It also empowers us to walk this path of surrender as well as we follow In his footsteps, we cannot and will not follow him as Lord without surrender in our lives. Verse 41 says that when they had gone out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Even Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the one who existed uh, since all eternity past, in perfect and unbroken union of love and joy with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, as a human being, Jesus faces a great test. Verse 44 says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It was getting more and more intense, probably louder and louder. But if you go back to the beginning of his ministry, from the moment of his baptism on, Jesus was thrown into a great battle, a great fight. And I want you to notice the difference between Jesus and Peter, Jesus and ourselves. When life starts to overwhelm them, Peter refuses to surrender, saying, I've got it, I'll be okay, I can handle it on my own. In contrast, Jesus, God the Son, surrenders to God the Father, and he says, I don't have it on my own. Not without you, Father. I need you. Father, help me. So in these moments of prayer, Jesus was hanging on to the Father for his very life. And he was also showing and telling his disciples that this is the only way to escape the devouring, destroying power of temptation. Verse 40, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Verse 46, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus is saying that to pray leads you into surrender to God, to the Father, to his will. And that's really the only safe thing to do in a broken, fallen world full of temptation, full of struggle. Because not to pray, let's, let's think that through. Not to pray is to surrender eventually to temptation and its will. And its will is what? To devour and destroy you. It's a predator. And you are its prey. So it works like this. pray. Or be prey. Call or fall. Surrender or don't survive. It's very stark. Do you remember the last time you surrendered to temptation instead of to the will of your Heavenly Father? Think back. When was it? Do you remember it? You know that sin kicked you around the block. And then it kicked you to the curb and left you there to stew in your misery. And this is no way for sons and daughters of God to live, is it? Jesus is the way, a better way. So Jesus is saying that this surrender to the Father is his way to live. And and so it must be for his followers, for you and me, or we perish. This is simply astounding to me. If the eternal Son of God lives to surrender and surrenders to live, doesn't that tell us something about reality? Surrender is not some weird, ultra-spiritual, once-in-a-lifetime act. Surrender is woven into the fabric of the universe. Surrender is woven into the person of God as a trinity of love. The Son surrenders to the Father. The Father honors the Son. The Spirit points back to both the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit as their representative. A perfect unity of love. Surrender. Live. Do you see it? Do you see how surrender is woven into the very being of God and the fabric of the universe he created? This is crucial to see because surrender can strike us as scary. Something scary, something weird. I don't want to go there. Imagine that you've broken out of prison and you're on the run, panting, sweating, frantically hiding. You're hiding from the God of the universe The cosmic sheriff who comes with his handcuffs and his bullhorn shouting, Okay, you're surrounded. Come out with your hands up or I will wipe you out. So with our hands up, we come out of hiding. We hang our head in shame, fear. Or maybe we thrust our face forward in defiance, in anger. But we don't have a better alternative. So we surrender. We wave the the white flag. We give up. Is that what surrendering to God means? Well, not exactly. Jesus' surrender is a response to love, not fear. Look carefully at verse 42 and how Jesus begins this prayer of surrender. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours, be done. Our whole view and approach to surrender depends on that one word, Father, Father. As we sang of this earlier, in whatever language you sing, Father, Father. In that word, Jesus will radically redefine the spiritual quest Forever and for all peoples. God is not the cosmic sheriff hunting us down and forcing us to submit, nor is God some vague force of goodness or beauty. God is a father. In Christ, he's Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. There's a tenderness there. There's an intimacy there. So intensely personal and intimate. What a way to address God, the God of the universe. So intimate and so personal that most people in Jesus' day were aghast at such a thing. They they couldn't and wouldn't use such boldness, such familiarity with the Almighty. But the early church retained this word, Father, as a way for all who are in Christ to address God. And so do we. Father. This changes everything. True surrender is never just a response to fear. It's a response to love. Should we fear God? Yes. (laughs) Yes, of course. God is awesome, almighty, holy, just. And we are not. We are none of those things. So yes, When we surrender to God, we do come out with our hands up. I surrender, Lord. But you see, real and lasting surrender is fueled by love. Jesus is not afraid of his Father. He loves his Father. The Father doesn't want to destroy the Son. The Father loves the Son. So everything in our spiritual lives flows out of this same love. The love of God for us in Christ, it's... This is the spring of all Christian spirituality and how quickly we wander from that spring. We serve God and we try to surrender because we're afraid or we're driven by duty and rules and laws and shame. So we come out with our hands up, I surrender Lord, but only love will keep our hands raised in the surrender of love of trust, of hope. Brothers and sisters, let us help each other find our way back to that spring. Let's encourage one another and say, come to the spring where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit love each other. Come drink from the spring of their love for you in sweet surrender." Jesus believes in his communion of love with the Father above all else. Nothing can erase that. I want you to notice the next phrase in his simple prayer of surrender. Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. What was the cup? And why did Jesus want to avoid it? It wasn't just the cup of his suffering and his death. The cup was that, but along with that, it was the full measure of our sin and all of its consequences. The cup was full of his father's holy wrath upon all of our sin, all of our rebellion. The Bible is very clear that when Jesus died, he died for us, for our sin. Don't ever get too familiar with that. I mean, that's a wild concept. Imagine all your sins. All my sins. All our sins. are pride and hatred and envy and lust and cruel words. And our shallow insensitivity that ignores the pain of others. Plus the really bad stuff that we'd rather not mention. Like rape and abuse, and murder, and genocide. Just imagine, all of this will be absorbed into Jesus when he goes to that cross. It will be crashing in on his utterly pure heart in wave after wave after wave. That's the cup. And now we know why he prays this. Take this cup from me. I mean, no human being could ever begin to imagine the horror and the moral darkness that descended on Jesus Christ when he became sin for us, for you, for me. Surrender is a struggle, even for Jesus. It's part of a real relationship between God the Son and God the Father. Some people assume that surrendering requires a pious and quiet acceptance of our lot in life. I've talked with many people over the years who have been instructed in various ways by spiritual leaders to just sit down, shut up, and don't ask questions about their lives, as if their needs, desires, thoughts, and opinions do not matter. Jesus does not approach the spiritual life that way, not at all. So neither should we. Rather, he clearly articulates in this prayer, what he wants. What is on his heart in this moment. Father, take this cup away from me. Take this cup away from me. In other words, Father, please find a plan B to save the world. Not this way. Jesus is very straightforward. He asks directly, clearly, and boldly for what he needs and what he wants in that awful moment. But Jesus also prays this, Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Earlier in the Gospels, Jesus taught us to pray, Your will be done, in the Lord's Prayer. We pray it together every Sunday. Now Jesus practices what he had preached to his followers. In one of the most tender scenes in the Bible, the son praying through agony and tears and sweat running like blood, he asks his father for something very specific. At the same time, and as a reflection of his foundational faith in his relationship with his father, he surrenders his will. He surrenders his will. To God the Father's will. So, through this simultaneous ultimate vulnerability and ultimate trust, Jesus shows us true surrender. Ultimate vulnerability. Ultimate trust. He leaves his life completely in the Father's hands. Someone once asked me, someone once asked me, is surrender the same thing as believing in fate, that whatever's going to happen is going to happen. You might as well just accept it. I thought about that for a little while, and, and then I responded to this person something along these lines. I said, no, not at all. Fate is impersonal. It's like a big, complex set of gears that grind on and on without care or concern for us. Jesus shows us the way of love and trust in a heavenly Father who is for us, not against us. This is a God with whom all things are possible. So when we place our lives completely in his hands, there are no freakish accidents. God can take all the loose, broken pieces and dead ends in our lives you know, like a cruel and shameful death on a cross and turn them into something beautiful and powerful. So this is trust in our Heavenly Father. Even in the midst of his darkest hour, God the Father tells God the Son essentially this, my son, let it go. Surrender. I've got you. I have something better for you. I have a salvation you will secure for others. There will be a resurrection for you and for them. Trust me. And he did. And here we are today because of that. I said earlier that all of us have a big surrender to make. Have you made the big surrender? Let's return to that image of the high dive. Where are you in that story? Perhaps you're on the cement around the pool, and you're saying, this is ridiculous. Why should I climb up onto that board? That isn't even rational. How can I prove that the board is reliable, that it's going to hold me? I can't prove it. Therefore, I, I shouldn't trust it. Look, your mind matters to God. He gave you that mind that you have. And many of us have thought long and hard and prayed long and hard through difficult questions of faith, through mysteries. And and our thinking has made our faith stronger. But faith is not entirely rational. Faith is not entirely rational. There's a component to that. But faith is not entirely rational, like acts of love, loyalty, sacrifice, commitment. We we can't prove why we ought to act that way. We either do it or we don't. We can't prove why we ought to act in faith. Sometimes we don't know until we climb those steps and we put our weight on that board and we go out to the edge and we jump. We can't concretely prove that we're going to be okay until we let go. That's the big surrender. And after the big surrender, we battle with the little surrenders every day of our lives in this world. We, we refuse to surrender whenever we say something like this, God, honestly, I would much rather have it my way than your way. We usually won't say that Out loud, we won't even let it enter our thoughts very much. We keep, we tamp it down, but then we function that way. I'd much rather have it my way than your way, Lord. But when we stubbornly hang on to our own will, we're actually pursuing less joy, less peace, less power, less hope. Look at Jesus. Always look at Jesus. His power came from a life of surrender, his joy came from a life of surrender. Peter lost his power and his joy by refusing to surrender. Some of you are holding on to things you refuse to surrender. I know what that's like. I've done that in my life too. Hanging on to things you refuse to surrender, things perhaps like lustful images, bitterness and an unforgiving spirit, A spouse that you just won't accept. An imaginary spouse who will come and rescue you from everything. A passivity that says, just leave me alone. I don't want to change and you can't make me. Perhaps you're clinging to an idol. An idol called money or image or reputation or comfort or control. Jesus invites you to let these things go. God has something better for you. You may think, it's impossible. I keep letting go and grabbing it back again. I surrender so imperfectly. Me too. Me too. But we don't give up on surrender because it's a way of life for us. Because it was the way of life for our Savior. See, this leads us right into the heart of the Gospel. Jesus doesn't demand That we surrender. He shows us how it's done. And he does it for us, by the way. We approach God as our Father. Because we come in and through Jesus, his Son. Through Christ, the one who offered a perfect surrender. He's the only one. You and I, we will never be able to offer a perfect surrender in anything in this world. Jesus offered the perfect surrender. And he did that for us. He he brings us into that. Perfect surrender to his Father. In life and in death. Through him. Through Jesus. The Father enfolds us in his salvation. And accepts each imperfect act of surrender we offer to him as we follow Jesus. Surrender to live. And live to surrender. May you experience the freedom of surrender as a way of life. Amen?